0: Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon West Church. My name is Pastor Chris, and uh, I want to thank you for watching with us. Uh, I want you to know how eager we are to be together in person again, and we believe that day is coming soon. Uh, In fact, we're actively working toward a plan that would allow us to do that. Uh, But in the meantime, you've been so faithful to stream with us and to be engaged with us and to comment along uh, the way. And so please continue to do that. And thank you for doing that as we look forward to that day when we can do it face to face, we can be together in person again. Uh, Before we get too deep into the morning, I want to give an update on Pastor David, uh, senior pastor of First Baptist Orlando. As you know, uh, he had a surgery earlier this week, and I'm excited to report that surgery was successful. uh, And he was actually released to go home just yesterday. And so he is at home now, recovering with Rachel and with the family. And thank you for those who have prayed, those who have sent emails and letters to David. Uh, he is reading those or having those read to him. So thank you for continuing to lift him up in prayer as we ask God to fully restore our senior pastor, David. I also wanna just acknowledge uh, on this Memorial Day weekend uh, that there are some who are not with us because they gave the ultimate sacrifice. They gave their very life to serve the country. We saw some names already put on the comment stream uh, from uh, uh, the, some of you who acknowledge those that you knew who have given their lives in service to our country. And if you haven't yet done that and you want to honor someone who has given their life in that way, we ask that you just put their name on the comment stream and, and you're going to get people liking and loving that and affirming the sacrifice that those men and women made. And we want to thank them on this Memorial Day weekend for doing just that. Well, we uh, live in an age of communication. There is no question about it. Uh, We live in the age of Facebook and FaceTime and Skype and Zoom and LinkedIn and TikTok and Instagram and on and on, texts and emails and phone calls. We are communicating constantly. In fact, in 2014, Apple reported that on their iPhones, they process 40 billion, that's billion with a B, 40 billion text messages Every day, messages being sent, messages being received. And unfortunately, in this communication onslaught, there's a high likelihood that occasionally you might slip into an a, a, a accidental message something you didn't mean to send or something that wasn't sent just the way you intended it. I was sharing with some folks earlier this week that when I was first on staff here at First Orlando, I had a supervisor that something about the way that our phones interacted with each other. Uh, I never got his messages clearly. And so to give you an example of how frightening this was, uh, on Sunday mornings, I would get messages that would say, hey, Chris, I need you to ASAP. And that's how it would show up in the text. It would be jumbled letters at the most important juncture. And and I would be panicking going, "I, I, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know where you need me. And messaging. Messaging, so important that those messages we intend to send get communicated in the right way. Well, you need to know this morning that the Christian faith is built on a message. We call it the gospel, which means good news. It's the message of salvation that is the means by which God saves and redeems people. And it's so important that that message gets communicated clearly and accurately in a way that can be received by those who might hear it. Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, he said, this is how it works. He said, uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is a message by which people understand the good news of salvation and are saved. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our essential series. Over the last several weeks, we looked at different essentials of the Christian life, things like identity and mission and unity And today we're going to look at the essential of message or the gospel message. And what I believe about the gospel message is is that it is the most essential of the essentials. It is the doorway by which we access all of the other things that we need in Christ. If you have not yet received and believed the gospel message, you don't have Christian unity. You can't worship your creator. You you, you can't identify as a child of God because it is the message that God uses to save people. And so I believe the message is the essential that all the others hinge on and it's the one we'll look at this morning. In fact, what we're exactly going to do this morning is look at Acts chapter 2, the first place that the gospel message was preached. And what I want to do is draw out four aspects of that gospel message that were true then in the first century and continue to be true today. So with that in mind, would you join me in Acts chapter 2 and looking at verses 1 through 4 together. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance i'm going to pause there for a minute because it's going to be important that we unwrap the context of what's going on So we're headed to the four aspects of the gospel message that are gonna be preached in Acts two. But before we get there, I need to spend a good amount of time on the context because it's super important that you not miss what's going on here. On the Jewish calendar, there are three pilgrimage festivals that take place every year. The first is Passover. Pilgrimage, pilgrimage, meaning uh, festivals that the Jews are, are expected to travel to Jerusalem from wherever they are, travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. The first Passover, that corresponds to the Christian holiday of Easter, roughly. Uh, the second is the Feast of Weeks so or the Festival of Weeks. This is the one we're going to talk about more today. And the third is the Feast of Tabernacles, which happens in the fall. We won't pick that one up this morning. So let me unpack each of these festivals, and you'll understand why I'm doing that in just a moment. The, the Passover first occurred when the Jews were uh, exiles, when they were slaves in Egypt. And they were crying out to God for deliverance, and God sent Moses as a deliverer for the people. And on the day that the Jews were rescued from Egypt, they were to take the blood of a lamb and, and uh, put it on their doorposts. So that the angel of death, the angel uh, that was taking the lives of the firstborn sons of Egypt, would pass over the houses of the Jews. So that, that holiday Passover was built on the idea that if the blood was applied to the doorposts, that death would pass over them and not touch them. And then Moses delivered the people from the land of Egypt. The significance for us is probably clear to you. Jesus became the perfect Passover lamb that was crucified and actually was crucified on Passover in the first century as a fulfillment of the original Passover. Not only the perfect lamb, but also the perfect Moses, if you will. He was the perfect deliverer to bring us out of the land of sin and death and judgment and into the promised land of life eternal and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, what was foreshadowed in the first Passover was fulfilled in the death of Jesus centuries later. The Feast of Weeks is the second pilgrimage festival, and this is the festival that's happening in the Acts 2 context. During the Feast of Weeks, the people would celebrate two things. One, they would celebrate the completion of harvest, and secondly, they would celebrate the giving of the law. The giving of the law came roughly 50 days after the original Passover. And so the Feast of Weeks was celebrated 50 days after Passover or is celebrated even today by the Jews. That's why Luke uses the word Pentecost. It's the same holiday, penta meaning 50. It's 50 days after Passover. So I say all that to tell you what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is taking place 50 days after Jesus has been crucified on Passover And if the implications are clear between Jesus' death and the fulfillment of Passover, let me make those same implications about how Acts 2 fulfills the original Pentecost. Look at some of the parallels. The first Pentecost happened in Exodus 19 when God gave the law, and and this was accompanied by a series of things. First, there was thunder and a very loud trumpet blast. Well, what happens in Acts chapter 2 at the first century Pentecost? Pentecost. It says that there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, loud sounds accompanying both of these events. Secondly, when the law was given, it says in Exodus 19 that the fire of the Lord descended and covered the entire mountain in smoke. In Pentecost Acts 2, tongues of fire come and rest on the disciples. Pentecost in Exodus 19 says that the people were confused and afraid. The same thing is said about the response in Acts chapter 2. And finally, in the first Pentecost, in Exodus 19, God was establishing the nation of Israel by giving the law. In Acts chapter 2, God is establishing the church by giving the Holy Spirit. So, so what is foreshadowed in the original Pentecost in Exodus 19 is now fulfilled in the Acts 2 Pentecost as the Holy Spirit introduces the new covenant. Now, that's a lot to process, but the reason I tell you that is so that you know what is happening in the context. God is establishing something new, a covenant with the people that will be based not on law, but based on grace and on the Holy Spirit. And the result of this Pentecost moment in Acts chapter 2 is that 3,000 people are saved on a single day. So let's look for a few minutes at four aspects of this gospel message as it was preached in Acts 2, and each of these things are still true about the gospel today. Number one is this, the Spirit powers the gospel message. The Spirit powers the gospel message. Now, now as Peter is going to preach, and we'll look at those verses in just a moment, I, I can tell you that people may have been intrigued by his words. They might have even been impressed by what he had to say. But no one would have been saved if the Holy Spirit had not shown up in power, if God had not used the message to draw people to himself. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I want to illustrate this with some props. First is a paintbrush. If you have a paintbrush and no paint, then what you have is a useful tool that actually can't accomplish anything. You could spend hours applying this paint roller uh, to your walls. They're not going to change colors because it's got the form of something useful, but there is no, uh, nothing of substance to go with it. Or maybe a better illustration is this drill gun that I have. And no matter how hard I press the trigger button on this drill gun, nothing is gonna happen because though it has the form of something useful, the battery is not attached to it. It lacks power. Paul said that in the end times, there's gonna be a people that arise and these people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power that is inherent to it. You need to know this morning that God's truth alone is not what saves people. What saves people is the power of God to open their eyes to receive the truth of the gospel. And I need to say that because in my tribe, sometimes we get the idea that if I just believe the right things, if I just have the right form, if I do the right rituals, then I'm good with God. But it is actually the power of God, manifest by the Holy Spirit, drawing people to himself, the Spirit powers the gospel message and that is exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2. It's the same reason that Jesus commanded commanded the disciples not even to preach the gospel until the Holy Spirit arrived in power. That's what Jesus said in Acts 1 verses 4 to 5. He said while staying with them he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Here's a point of application for us as followers of Jesus. You will never argue somebody into God's kingdom because it's not facts that save people, but you may just well pray them into the kingdom because it's the power of God that saves them. Some of you are diligent to, to, to talk with your neighbors and coworkers and friends, and you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them. But if you're not praying, if you're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to draw them to himself, you're painting with a dry roller. You're using a drill gun with no battery. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that draws people to salvation. Here's the second aspect of the gospel message we see in Acts 2. The scriptures foretold the gospel. Now, I'm going to take some time to read a lengthy passage. This is Acts 2, verses 14 through 36. You can follow along with me. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the people, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes that great and magnificent day. And it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on, men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be bound Or held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David. He both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. The scriptures foretold the gospel message. In fact, nearly half of Peter's message in Acts chapter 2 is simply quotation from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He quotes two men, Joel and David, and Peter is establishing the fact that this was prophesied long ago. The scriptures foretold this very gospel message. Did you know that Jesus actually quoted from more than 20 Old Testament books and the New Testament contains nearly a thousand direct or indirect references to the Old Testament. That's mind blowing to me. And there's a reason that this matters. It matters because the gospel message did not simply show up and represent a change in God's redemptive plan, but rather it was God's plan all along. It was just in the first century through Jesus that that plan was revealed and that plan was fulfilled. One of our church fathers, Augustine, says this, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The two go together. One foreshadows, the other fulfills. That's why Paul said in Colossians 1.26 that it is the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. Paul's saying there that though it was a mystery, it was there all along. It wasn't a new kid on the block, but it was something that God purposed from millennia past to be fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, Peter calls it the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And this is important to me because it indicates that what we need is not something more than the gospel. Spiritual growth does not mean that we go beyond the gospel and we learn these new and intriguing and mysterious things. Spiritual growth is when we press into the gospel and we more fully understand it and live it and proclaim it with our lives and with our tongues. Here's the third aspect of the gospel that we see in Acts 2, that Jesus fulfilled the gospel message. And I should probably add, and only Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Peter says Jesus is the fulfillment of the gospel message, and he does this by going through four stages that Peter is going to talk about. Each one of these he spends some time on. First is Jesus' crucifixion. See, before Peter is going to get to the good news of the gospel, he's going to tell them some hard truth. He's going to say to his audience on that day, you're the ones who crucified Jesus. You're the ones who took him and put him on a cross. It was you. He's not tickling their ears. He's not telling them something that's going to make them feel endeared to him. What he's doing is telling them hard truth as he prepares the way to tell them the good news of the gospel. He places his audience as the culprit's in the crucifixion of Jesus, which begs the question, who's really responsible for Jesus's death? Some might say, well, it was the Jewish religious leaders because they chanted crucify, crucify. Others would say, no, it was the the Roman empire. They're the ones who drove the nails. They're the ones who put him on the cross. The true answer, the person responsible for the death of Jesus is me and it's you. It's our sin that took Jesus to the cross. This is the reason that Mel Gibson, the director of The Passion of the Christ, he chose at one point in the telling of that story to, to actually get in front of the camera in a, in a way. He never appears in his face, but at the scene where the soldiers are driving the nails into Jesus' hands and feet, it is Mel Gibson's hand that holds the hammer. Because Mel Gibson wanted everyone to understand that he held himself responsible for Jesus's death, that it was his sin. And I would say it is my sin, it is your sin that took Jesus to the cross. The crucifixion is the first stage in understanding the gospel story. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, We may be tempted to think that the gospel uh, is a series of victories over certain things. So for instance, we we might think, well, when Jesus died on the cross, that saved us from sin. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, that, that helped us overcome death. And then when he ascended and we go through these stages, like it was a series of victories, but that's not how the word talks about what happened. The word says that all victory was won at the cross of Jesus, that it was the crucifixion that secured our victory. That's why it says this in Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, also partook of the same things that through death, notice that, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Your victory over sin, hell, death, judgment, your victory was secured at the crucifixion of Jesus. What the resurrection of Jesus did was it demonstrated proof that the victory had been won. The the moment that Jesus breathed his last, the moment he said it is finished, the victory was yours in him. The resurrection established and proved that fact. In fact, Peter talks about the resurrection in these words in verse 24, he says, it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. It wasn't possible. In fact, if we were seeing things from an eternal perspective, we would not marvel that a man walked out of a tomb. We would marvel that God tasted death. In a very real sense, the miracle was the crucifixion. The resurrection was the inevitable result of the author of life being who he is, a risen, reigning king. So we have the crucifixion of Jesus. We have the resurrection of Jesus. Peter's going to mention two other aspects. One, third, the ascension of Jesus. The ascension, that means the, the, the raising up of Jesus. So let me ask you this question. If you were to be asked, you know, where, where is Jesus right now? You know, we, we know that he was on the earth for 33 years. We know he was at the cross. He, he walked out of the tomb. Where is Jesus now? How would you answer that? Well, let me tell you how Jesus answered that in Luke 22, verses 67 to 69. They asked him, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. That is where Jesus is right now, at the right hand of the Father. In fact, no less than seven New Testament books and letters affirm that very truth. Where is Jesus? He is seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority. That expression, right hand, in Jewish thought, it's the symbol of strength or power or authority. The theological word we might use there is that Jesus is sovereign over all things, which is so encouraging this morning as we navigate these difficult times and this strange season. To know that there is not a molecule in our universe that lives or exists outside of the gracious authority of Jesus. He reigns over all of it. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, was given all authority, all dominion. He continues there now at the right hand of God. And here's the fourth aspect of the gospel story that Peter talks about in Acts 2. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and finally the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is what is taking place in Acts chapter 2. Let me read again verses 17 and 18 as Peter unpacks Joel's words and says this, In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Peter was living in the midst of the moment that moment where Jesus was pouring out his Holy Spirit on the disciples and they were prophesying, proclaiming the truth and the good news of Jesus. And this is so powerful because whereas Jesus's earthly ministry was bound to one man in one place at one time, albeit the Son of God, it was still limited to where Jesus was. Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus would continue, not through one man at one place at one time but through all kinds of men and women in all kinds of places throughout all of history. That was the plan and the purpose of God. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, you're gonna do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Meaning when I go to the Father and I pour my Holy Spirit down upon you, the gospel is gonna spread to all nations. It will be more impactful than even having Jesus live among us. What an incredible and powerful truth. And notice who Peter says will be recipients of this Holy Spirit. He says all kinds of people. He includes sons and daughters, male servants and female servants. See, God's desire was that the gospel message would burst forth from all of those who put faith in Jesus, no matter young and old, no matter Jew or Gentile, no matter male or female, we are all carriers of this good news of the gospel and we all should take every opportunity to preach and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Jesus wanted his Holy Spirit poured out on all people and we receive it by faith. So remember my question a minute ago, I said, where is Jesus? And we established the fact that he's at the right hand of the Father. Well, why then do we teach kids that Jesus lives in their heart? Is it okay to do that? Well, I would say yes. Because the way that that is true is that as Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, he has poured his Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who believe by faith and that is his spirit living within us. So, so don't go to your kids and say, hey, we learned today that Jesus doesn't actually live in your, your hearts. Yes, he does. If they have put their trust in him, he lives there by his spirit through faith. And so it's okay for us to say that. Here's the fourth aspect of the gospel and this is so important, we cannot miss this aspect you have a response to the gospel message. You have a response to the gospel message. Let me read the last verses of this passage, Acts chapter two, verses 37 to 41. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I want you to notice two things briefly about the response of the people to that first gospel message. The first is that it was an emotional response. Luke tells us they were cut to the heart. It, it penetrated their hearts. They were broken at the news of the gospel. That only happens if we take people through the hard truth before we get to the good news. Part of the gospel message, friends, is allowing people to come into confrontation with the fact that their sin put Jesus on the cross. Peter didn't shy away from that. He, he told them the truth. Uh, of their standing before God, that they were not at peace with God, they were not children of God while they were alienated from Him, and it cut them to the heart. They had an emotional response. Secondly, their response was action-oriented. They asked this question, "Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do?" The, the gospel messages that fell on their ears through the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit caused them to go, "I have a response to this." I can't just hear this, and I can't just believe that these things are true. I've got to do something with that. Faith is not merely the acceptance of theological propositions, no matter how true they are. In fact, one of my former pastors when I was younger said it this way, the gospel is not that Jesus was crucified, raised to life, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. The gospel is that because those things are true, I must choose to surrender my life to Jesus. See, the gospel doesn't come to bear until we receive it, until we apply it to our hearts through faith. And friends, if you know those things to be true and you go, yeah, check, I believe Jesus died. I believe he was raised to life. I believe all of those things. Guess what? The Bible says even the demons believe that and they shudder because they're facing the coming judgment of God. It's not just believing the right things, but it's responding in faith, in submission, surrendering to the lordship of Jesus by which we are saved. Faith, I believe, is an inner movement of our entire being toward Christ and it's accompanied by outward demonstrations of that faith. Peter mentions two. They were true then, they're true today. The first is repentance. Peter says, if you want to receive this salvation, if you want to be restored to relationship with God, you have to repent, you have to turn. That word just means to change direction. It means if I'm going this way and I'm living for self-indulgence and I'm I'm living to please myself and to, to enjoy life and do what I want to do. It's saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to turn and I'm going to live now for the glory of God. It's a change in direction, a 180 turn. And secondly, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Baptism is the word, the Greek word, immerse. It just means to go under the waters of baptism as a way of declaring that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. Peter says, repent and be baptized. The heart of the gospel, friends, is this. It's an invitation. And that invitation in Acts 2 to that audience is the same invitation that stands today in the 21st century as we live in the middle of unprecedented times and strange seasons, that that God still stands at the door of your heart knocking and saying, if anyone would open the door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with him. If you've never done that, if you've never put your full trust in Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, I don't know where you are, and I may not even know you personally, but I'm begging you and I'm asking you, would you today surrender to that gospel message? Would you give your life to Jesus? Secondly, if if you've already done that, uh, would you join me in making that gospel message known to as many people as we possibly can in the time that we have on earth? That, That as many as we encounter, we would let them know, we'd find ways to share with them that there is good news, that though they are alienated from God, they can be brought into fellowship with God through faith in Jesus. That is the gospel. You know, Horizon West Church, we've been talking now for several months about what we're calling the gospel conversation wall. Each of these pins represent conversations we're having with people about the gospel or times that we're praying with somebody, times we're inviting somebody to come to church with us, times that we're sharing our testimony, our faith with individuals. And I got the chance to pull off 28 of these pins based on emails and texts and things people had told us and conversations they were having. But I look forward to the day where every one of these pins is off the wall, representing a thousand gospel conversations that we've had with lost people in our community. Friends, this is why we are here. If it was only about Christian unity, if it was only about Christian worship, if it was only about Christian fellowship, we can do those things in heaven. We're here on earth to proclaim a message, clearly, accurately, pointedly, the gospel message of faith in Jesus. And so this week, my challenge to you, if you're already a believer in Jesus, would you circle one name? Would you underline one name, put it in your mind, Somebody that you're going to go beyond this week or you're going to look for opportunity to go beyond even just the the slight nudge or the hey join me on the stream or hey can I pray for you but actually to go all the way to laying out this gospel message for them faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god in just a moment we're going to sing a song together the song is called this i believe And it is an anthem, it's a declaration of the truths that we believe as followers of Jesus. It's an affirmation of the gospel message that we stand on. And friends, this message, we must not change it. We must not soften it. We must not alter it to fit our culture. We must stand at the bridge between God and lost humanity and say, this we believe, would you believe with us? Would you pray with me before we sing? Father in heaven, it is a humbling thought that I've spent the last 25 or 30 minutes laying out the truth of the gospel. God, we are inundated with messages in our culture, God, and oftentimes, maybe more often than not, it's hard to know who's telling the truth. But God, this message, the gospel, was affirmed by men who lived and died for it. Men and women who suffered, who sacrificed, who stood at at a crucial season of their own. And they pointed the way faithfully to a man named Jesus, who alone could save from sins. God, would we be faithful in our day, some 2,000 years later, to stand at that same crossroads and to continue to proclaim that same old gospel message, that there is salvation by faith in Jesus. We believe this, God. Help us to be people who share that good news in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church podcast. If you are inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.